I've been sucking off Rick all damn day. Can't help myself, cause I'm so gay. We both sit out here and waste our lives away. Swallow his load and watch him drive away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for faggots like me and faggots like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is living in a gay world with a tight hole. These hard cocks north of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control, want to force you to drink, want to know who you screw, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do, because your pooper ain't yours, and it's stretched to no end, because of hard to a bow story. I thought that was pretty fucking funny. Um, God, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm still giggling so much because I think it's hilarious. I hope that I didn't offend anybody with that. But welcome to a bow story. My name is Joe Edis, and this is a weekly podcast where I cover different subjects and provide you with stories from my own life. I'm a 47-year-old gay man, a healthcare worker, a brother to seven siblings, an immigrant from the Azores Islands, and sometimes just a guy with a microphone ranting. Oh, and by the way, I'm a Seattle resident. Ooh, am I off kilter today? Because that is freaking hilarious. I'm sorry. Well, you know what this is. This is episode number 20. I know. Can you believe it? Episode number 20, and I am over 850 people downloading, which is so amazing. And thank you, everyone, for the stories, for the downloads. It's just been so crazy. This last weekend has been like 
unbelievable. Everyone's been downloading it, and I'm just so giddy and excited. So thank you all for listening. And episode number 20, I'm going to cover some different funny stories that happened to me as a child, and I think we're going to call this our childhood stories. Let's start from the very beginning. My conception. My father had come to America prior to us immigrating to the United States and spent three years kind of getting the lay of the land and was with my grandfather and some of my uncles. And upon returning back to Portugal after being gone for three years, I'm not kidding. I think I was born exactly the minute to the day of nine months after. It's so funny. There's, they're like so obvious that obviously I was the welcome back baby. And my mother has a picture that she has given me that is her pregnant and she looks so miserable. And they're in these horrible 1970s uh, outfits with like plaids and stripes. And she looks like she has rosacea and she was pretty big actually. And I don't think I was that big of a baby, but I was born on my mother's bed in the Azores Islands. And in those days, people just had their births at home. And my dad, when my mom went into labor, went down the street and got my mom's aunt, whose name was Aunt Salty. And she delivered me on my mom's bed. Now, I'm technically number eight of my mom's nine births. She had a child that had been stillborn um, prior to me, but I am one of the nine births that she had, seven, no, eight of which she had on her bed. So I'm guessing when I came out, it didn't take very long. When I was two, before we moved to the United States, we had a home in the Azores Islands that had plumbing, but the plumbing was weird in that it had a, like a big outhouse ditch, kind of like people who don't live um, on city sewers. And so they have like their own septic systems in the back of their house. Ours was a little more primitive. Um, And this is a secondhand story I'm going to tell you that my siblings have told me. Apparently when I was two, we were running around and playing in the backyard and I fell into that septic hole full of shit And apparently it was loaded with maggots and I had maggots and shit all over me and they had to hose me off outside. When we moved to the United States, I had siblings that were much older and they were starting to date. And so apparently I, at around the age of four, decided to get myself dressed up and I went and sat outside and apparently it was raining. And my mother and sister came out to ask me what I was doing and I was just sitting there and I said I was waiting for my date. And I will tell you this. I loved 1970s corduroys and little sweater vests. I must have had a million of them as a kid. So many of my pictures, I have my little cords on and my little sweater vest. When we first moved to the United States, we lived up north in Northern California in an area called Smith River, which is right about eight miles away from the Oregon border. And we were there for a short period of time, but we had started elementary school there in my kindergarten year. So very early on. One night, my father heard something wrestling around the house and told us all to be quiet. And we didn't know what he was talking about. And he kept hearing it. And so he went to a closet and there was a cat and he shooed it out with a broom and whatnot. And the cat sprayed all over him and come to find out it was actually a skunk. But being from the Azores, they didn't know what a skunk was. And my aunt kept saying it was a skunk. And for the longest time, my parents thought that that meant uh, a cat. And it sprayed all of our clothes. We went to school, our first week of school, and they sent us home almost immediately. And my mom and my aunt had to go wash our clothes with tomato juice. And my aunt put us in a bathtub and poured tomato juice all over us. And my parents sat there mortified, just like, what the hell is going on? At one time in those very few months that we were up there in Crescent City, Smith River area, and in kindergarten, I saw my brother on a recess break. And I 
wanted him. And so I started screaming, I want my brother, I want my brother. And I wouldn't stop crying. And apparently they had to go get him from his class. He was in second grade and he had to come get me. And I had to stay with him for the rest of the day because I wouldn't stop crying for my brother. In the front of our house, we had a big, huge tree. And we used to do this thing where we would climb up the tree, me, my brothers, and my cousins. And I had twin cousins that lived up there as well, two girls. They're awesome. Uh, We would all do this thing where we would climb up this tree and get to a certain point and then jump down. Well, one time my brother climbed up and he jumped down. And when he came down, he broke his arm. And we all ran and left him there because we were all in more trouble than he was because we should have known better and we should have just left him there. I one evening woke up to an empty house. My family had gone grocery shopping and I was asleep and they left me behind. I ran out of the house, completely afraid, ran up the street to a neighbor's house, which now going back as an adult, it wasn't as far as I pictured in my head. And they had to bring me back home and my family was back. They literally just went for like a couple of minutes to go get something. And I'm not kidding. Since that day, I've been afraid of the dark and being abandoned because I was an immigrant kid and I was literally living in a whole new land. Um, I'm over that now, but as a young man, yeah, that really did affect me. One night, my oldest brother, Frank, was getting ready for a school dance and my parents had gone to church with my aunt and uncle for Easter doing the Stations of the Cross. And my brother and I were playing in the bathtub next to him. He was in the shower part. We were playing in the bathtub and those old glass doors that you had in showers in those days with the rails at the bottom. We had closed it so that he could take a shower and we were in the bath part. I tied a towel around my neck and I went running and I slipped and fell and hit the rails and cut my chin wide open. And there was blood everywhere. And so my brother got me dressed, put it, I had to hold this towel onto my chin and we went to the church and we looked in all the stained glass windows to see if we could find my parents. And finally my uncle saw us and I had to go to the emergency room and get stitches. And all I remember is seeing the thread going up as they pulled the stitches through my chin. This is also one of the only times I got to have fast food or go to McDonald's was anytime that we were sick or we had to go to the hospital for any reason, we got to go to McDonald's afterwards. And I remember my mother giving me a pill and handing it back to me in the car. And I took it out of my mouth and I put it between the seats of our LTD 1978 Ford that was giant. We hardly ever ate fast food because we always ate at home. My mother made almost all of our dinners and lunches and breakfast. And we had our farm, so we would grow our own crops or our own vegetables and we'd raise our own cattle. And my mother would make bread once or twice a week, she'd bake it for us. And whenever I was being a snotty little kid, she'd say, I'll get you bread from the store. And now I think about, man, could you imagine having that life today where someone is always making you fresh food and baking you fresh bread whenever you want? Come on, how lucky were we? We didn't even realize it. And we were small. We weren't like kids the size they are today. We would get that little McDonald's cheeseburger meal whenever we'd have to go to the doctor or the hospital. And my brother and I would share it and we would each get a cheeseburger. We'd share the fries and could barely eat them all. And then we'd have one Coke that we would just kind of sip on. And then we were full. Another example of how small we were, we had a king size bed in one of our bedrooms when we were up in Crescent City, Smith River area. And my sister, two brothers, myself, and my two cousins could all sleep next to each other in this bed because that's how little we all were. The house we had in Smith River was an old kind of junky house. I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it was just old. And we stayed on the first floor because the upstairs had a door that was locked to it. We were told that we were never allowed to go up there. And one day they left it unlocked for some reason. And we went up there and there was all this old cool stuff from like a movie of some sort or or something. It had all these weird wagons and different things and whatnot. And what we found out later was that the house was actually used in an old movie. And all of that was the 
the different props that were used on the movie and were part of the set and they just left it behind. And so they just locked it upstairs in that house and kept it there until we moved it. And it's amazing when you go back as an adult, you realize how small things are because in your little childhood brain, everything seems so big and so large. And now I realize it wasn't as big or as large as my little imagination had made it out to be. We then finally moved to another part of Northern California where I grew up, which is Helmar, and we had a little small farm. And there is where some of these really funny stories come from. So when I was five years old, I was apparently out with my brother and he had some almond orchards that he was tending to and he had me drive the tractor. So I was five and I was driving a tractor just kind of straight. He put it in gear and then I just would drive it straight. And I apparently had to take a shit. So I went out in the field, took a shit, but I needed something to wipe with and I didn't have anything else. So I had this adorable little Credible Hulk shirt that I loved and I wiped my ass with it and I brought it home and had my mom wash it. And that made my siblings give me a new nickname, which was Shityard which I hated forever. So my problems with pooping didn't stop there. I remember being probably about five or six years old and having not gone poop for a while, and I was completely impacted. And I remember my mom told me that she was going to have to do this, and I was completely crying and mortified. But she had to put Vaseline on her finger and kind of stick it in my butt and kind of like loosen up my poop because it was so freaking hard. And it felt like I was delivering a baby when I had to poop. It was horrible. Then my mother had to check my poop for many, many weeks because my brothers dared me to see, to see if I would eat a BB, a quarter, and a peach pit, which my mom had to make sure it came out of my butt. When my sister would have slumber parties or just some of her friends spend the night, apparently I would run naked through the room and they would tell me to go put my string bean away. And one story she told me was that I would not stop crying because they were doing their hair and I wanted pigtails, so she had to put little pigtails in my hair. I think I was about seven or eight and I was at my friend Garrett's house and I needed to go poop. And Portuguese people are weird in that you know, when you're outside playing, you're outside playing. You don't come inside the house. You don't go into random people's houses. You just kind of play outside and run around and be a little idiot. Well, I need to go poop. And so she said, well, why don't you go in my backyard? So we dug a little hole. I took a shit and we covered it up. She later told me that her dad found it and told her there was no way that that was the dog's poop. It was a human poop. We had made up this story that we were going to blame her little dog, Chucky. Either a couple years before around this time, I went with my brothers to go hang out with their friends. And it was... Summertime, and so you normally stay out a little bit later because you know it's summer, you don't school, and so we were hanging out, and they had a movie that they were going to watch, and so I sat and watched with them. It was Pet Cemetery. Let me tell you, Pet Cemetery scared the shit out of me for fucking ever. For years, I could not run across the grass at night because I was afraid that that little gauge kid's hand was going to come up and grab my leg. And anytime I would hear the HBO song start, that I thought it meant. Pet Cemetery. I would go fucking running wherever I was. I fucking was scared to death of that damn movie. This same year, I got a kitten from our neighbors across the street, and I had named it Thumper after my favorite character from Disney. I'd gone to Disneyland probably a couple months before, and I'd met Thumper there, and I was in love with Thumper. I just thought Thumper was the coolest thing ever, so my cat's name was Thumper. One day, I was walking home from school, and right when I got to our house, my mother greeted me and said, wait, and I said, what? She said, Thumper, and I said, what happened to Thumper? Thumper used to like to lay behind my brother's tire because it was warm and kind of shaded. And he didn't hear my brother start the truck up and my brother ran over him. So I went to the backyard and there was Thumper like kind of broken apart in a hole already. And I cried and I did not have any more pets for a long time after that. To the point that when I started 4-H, I didn't want to show any animals. I actually did ceramics and showed my ceramics at the fair. Now, most boys and girls at this time, if you're Catholic, are getting ready to do First Communion. And so I was as well. 
and I could not get the Hail Mary. And so they held me back a year. So I had to wait to do First Communion for the next year. And I was like bigger than all the other kids, which is the only time I was ever bigger than anyone. But I was so devastated. And so what my mom and I did was we went to the ceramic store or ceramic shop and we made a mug and I put the Hail Mary prayer on it with this little gold overlay and we fired it. And then I would read it every morning when I would ever drink my milk. And I finally was able to get the Hail Mary and they let me do my First Communion. But I'll tell you, that event fucking was such a bad memory in my childhood and it literally like scarred me for a long time being held back at catechism of all things fucking catholics oh and i missed the funny story earlier probably about a year or two before that i was having difficulties watching tv and in class seeing things and whatnot and so it was determined that i need glasses and so I went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor that I went to was in Charlotte, California. They were in this old Victorian building, which was really, really cool. But every time you would go, they would give you this chief coin, which was like a, it had a Native American chief on it made out of wood. And you could take it to the ice cream shop and get a single scoop ice cream. So I loved going to the eye doctor, but I had the world's ugliest, biggest glasses because it was the early eighties. Every kid did. Luckily for me, it was determined by the eye doctor when I was probably about 10 years old that I needed contacts because I didn't wear my glasses that much and my vision wasn't getting any better. And so at 10 years old, I got contacts, which was awesome because then I didn't have to wear glasses all the time. When we had our little farm and we bought our house in town, the area in town where we bought our house had probably about 45 homes, plus or minus, and there was kids in every single one of those houses that was my age or a couple years below or a couple years up older. So I had a lot of kids to play with and a lot of friends. And so in the summertime, we used to bike, ride bikes all over the place. And we'd make these little like wood ramps or like cardboard ramps. And one time my friend Jesse was riding his bike and he was trying to do this thing on his mongoose neck BMX bike. And he turned around and as he turned back, there was a car there in front of him and he freaking nailed it. And he was like, oh my God, my balls are bleeding. My balls are bleeding. And so he told us all to go home. Don't tell our parents anything. Say we just needed to use the bathroom and get band-aids or anything we could and come back. And I remember him pulling out his ball, just one, like out of his pants. And he was like putting alcohol swabs on it and like putting band-aids on it. And he was like, no one can ever tell anybody about this. And we just died laughing. Also, one of his neighbors, name was Alvin, who actually Alvin and I are still in contact with Alvin and I. We're really good friends for many, many years. Alvin's um, mom worked I don't remember where she worked, but she worked somewhere where she had to wear these like milker boots. And so whenever we were being dicks to Alvin or being mean, we'd go, Alvin's mom, where's combat boots? Alvin's mom, where's combat boots? And that was the worst dig you could do to a kid in those days. I don't know why combat boots was so offensive, but it was the most offensive thing you could say about someone's mom. Around the same time, my brother had a bike that had a banana seat. And so I used to like to sit on the banana seat and put my feet and the side and like listen to the spokes as you went so it'd go and one time I put my foot in too far and we went flying and I ended up getting total road gravel all up in my leg and my mom I remember going home she poured peroxide onto my leg and she poured out pulled out the gravel individually with tweezers oh my god it hurt so fucking bad and what sympathy did I get for that I was told you won't do that again and I'm sure you remember around this age where your parents tell you no you can't do that and you better not do it because you're gonna get hurt or something's gonna happen well, I had two little incidences that did happen. One time I was riding one of the kids around the blocks, two-wheel uh, motorcycle. It was just like a, a regular, you know, kind of motocross motorcycle. And I went off this jump and I fell off. And I remembered landing on the ground and like just freaking nailing my whole body. And I remember first thing I did is I touched kind of my whole body and my bones to make sure nothing was broken. and was like, okay, good, good, good. The second was I had asked my mom if I could go jump on it 
friend of mine's big new trampoline that they had gotten. She said, no, because I was going to bite my tongue off. The first fucking jump I did, I bit right through my tongue. And I didn't tell her. To this day, I still have a scar on my tongue. And I remember eating, like, Portuguese food after that for, like, a month. And it freaking burned because of the salt. Oh, my God, yes. I was like the kid in the Christmas story. You'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. But mine was, you'll bite your tongue through. You'll bite your tongue through. A big thing in the area where I grew up was that you would go to sixth grade camp as a sixth grader for a week and sleep away from your family, and you'd write letters, and you had camp counselors that were seniors in high school. And so the week before, I kind of started getting ready. And in those days, you would go to the mall for like kind of dress your clothes, but then you'd go kind of to Kmart or Payless to get your shoes because you were just a kid and you were going to destroy everything anyway. So my mom had given me money, and I went with my friend Sean into Kmart. And she and I thought it would be funny that I would wear Mickey Mouse underwear to sixth grade camp. Bad idea. Bad idea. When I first got there and I started to realize that, like, the boys just kind of wore whitey tighties and we had to take showers at, like, a communal shower area and I had those Mickey Mouse underwear, I tried to hide them and I tried to wear the same underwear the whole week I was there. Now, for some reason in my little head, I had thought that the bigger you were, the bigger your dick. So because I was always so little, I was always so worried about being naked in front of people and showing them my dick and whatnot. Little did I know, I probably have a bigger dick than half the people in my class. But, you know, you don't know that when you're a little kid. You just think taller, bigger. And sixth grade camp didn't make this any different. I remember one of the guys that was in my sixth grade, he had like full pubes and whatnot. And I remember one of the guys said, Mike, you have a full fucking bush. And that was enough for me not to want to take any more communal showers. So I always tried to have activities or do different things that would make me miss shower and then have to go back with like a counselor who would just kind of sit outside while I showered by myself. Sixth grade was also the first time I kissed a girl. And I remember her name being Tori Lair. And my friend Shauna was friends with her. And we had already decided that I was going to kiss her and whatnot. And we were like in front of the Circle K, like on the main road, which was so funny. And we kind of got closer and closer and closer and closer, which is so ridiculous in those days. It must have taken an hour just to do like one French kiss. But I remember when we got really close to each other, she said to me something. And I said, what? And then I said, do you have AIDS? And she said, no, do you have AIDS? And I said, no. And then we just made out for like two seconds. And then it was the big thing everybody talked about at school for the next week. Sixth grade also gave way to the famous 1980s garage parties where your friends would have a party. They'd have like a couple bags of chips out and someone would be responsible to change the music on the tape player. Some people had CD players, but not too many yet. And you would just dance like in circles, like just really close in these horrible like little positions and just make out forever. I can't tell you how many of those parties I went to where I literally made out with girls for hours on end as a sixth grader, not really kind of into it or not really know what was going on because I think I was way too young, didn't really know anything about sexuality yet, and I wasn't really getting erections, I don't think, at this point. And I remember literally making out with this girl to that Bon Jovi song, Never Say Goodbye, like for fucking on a loop over an hour or so. I even remember being at my friend Diane's garage party and they came in and they were like, everyone, everyone, new Cindy Lauper song. And we went and watched MTV and it was the new release of Cindy Lauper's True Colors song. And oh, let me apologize to all the people in my life for those years, the sixth and seventh grade years, the amount of cologne that I must have worn those days because my friend Anthony was really big into cologne. And so we would buy that Dracar Noir and we would fucking pour it on like you wouldn't even believe, like you could smell us coming because we had so much fucking Dracar on. In sixth grade, my friend Shauna had invited me to go to the Madonna concert, which was the True Blue concert. So her mom bought tickets. I gave them $30 for the ticket, I remember. And then Shauna got in big, huge trouble and was grounded, and we didn't go to the concert. I still have the ticket in my box of stuff in my closet in my bedroom at my mom's house. 
And sadly, I'd never seen Madonna still to this day. And so I had tickets for this summer. She got sick. And so the concert will be now February 18th. And I still am going to go because I have the ticket. Might as well. This was also the year that because of doing farm work and running late in the morning that my dad had me drive to school. And I remember when I got to school, the secretary asked me, did you drive today? And I said, yes. She said, just be careful going home. It wasn't uncommon that farm kids would drive themselves to school because you'd always be doing farm work in the morning and then nobody could drive you to school. The summer before I went into seventh grade, it was the day before school was going to start. And I was asking my brother about seventh grade and we shared a room and we were talking and talking and talking. My dad had yelled out to us to be quiet and go to bed because we had school next day. And we kept talking, talking and talking. And he said he was going to come in there and beat us. And we kept talking and talking and talking. So finally, he came into our room with a belt. And he said, I'm going to beat the bottom of the bed with the belt where your legs are. And so we moved our legs up and he spanked the bottom of the belt. That was the only time my dad ever tried to spank me. My parents weren't spankers. But it was so funny because we stopped talking. We were very quiet that after. But it was funny how he told us ahead of time and we knew what to do. And then it just, it worked. This was also the year that my brother, who was four years older than me, decided to go out with his friends and get drunk. And they left him on our bench in the front of our entrance of our house and rang the doorbell. And so my mother went out there, saw him drunk, and brought him into our bedroom. At some point in the night, he got into my bed, and I heard my mother going, don't move, don't move, and like wrestling around and whatnot. He had gotten into my bed and threw up on my head. That fucker. So my mother got me up and put me in the shower, and I showered off. Well, the next morning, he was so hungover, I had gotten his comb, that, like, you know, the, the bick that we used to, those combs we used to put in the back pocket, and I pulled it back as far as that fucking plastic would go, and I smacked him across the head. I remember I woke him up from his hangover, and he chased me, and he couldn't catch me. He had this red shirt that was like a half shirt that on me wasn't a half shirt, and I fucking loved this shirt. I would try to wear it every time I could. Anytime he caught me, he'd fucking yell at me and beat my ass and try to take it away from me. Well, he was gone somewhere, and I'm like, I'm wearing it to school. So I wore it to school, and of course, I got tons of compliments. I mean, it was a fucking t-shirt, but literally, it was like the coolest shirt ever. I don't know why, and I fucking got a stain on it. And my mother worked and worked and worked to try to get that stain out of it, and she couldn't, and we finally just like kind of hit it, and he didn't notice for a while, and then finally, he realized it. And he always blamed me, but I was like, it wasn't me, asshole. It was time for school pictures, and I really wanted to have a checkered shirt. My mother would not let me go get a separate shirt just for pictures. So my sister had a checkered shirt, and I used her shirt in my pictures, which she still to this day reminds me that in my school picture, I had her checkered shirt. Get over it. It's a girl's shirt in my picture. Big deal. Oh, and oh my God, the many times and attempts that I tried to highlight and make my hair blonde over the summer with that fucking sun and shit and just your friends trying to do your hair. I must have fucking fried and fucked up hair for seventh and eighth grade for, uh, oh God, almost the whole year. In eighth grade, I got in trouble for tardies because I was always chatting in between classes and so I was late. And so they gave me half a day suspension. So I got up that morning and my dad told me to grab a shovel and I went with him and he made me stand on the back of the tractor on the little support legs, not even in the cab with him. And he took me out to a field. And told me to start digging. So I started digging. And I don't know, like 20, 30 minutes ago, I'm like, where am I digging to? And he's like, oh, you think you're smarter than everyone. Well, you're obviously smarter than the teachers. And you are obviously smarter than the school since you don't pay any attention. So you can just dig a ditch to nowhere for the rest of your life. And for fucking four hours, I had to dig a ditch to nowhere. When I got home, my brothers were like, did he make you dig a ditch? And I said, yeah. They go, we were told not to tell you. Now, I think I was four years old when my mother told me this. She told me there are two things you can't do in this house. One have a teacher call this house, two, have a policeman bring you home. Number one, my dad never went to school. He never was able to because his family didn't value it and he was working with his dad and farming and they ended up building a huge 
a big farming business and they had a lot of money, but he never went to school. All he could do was sign his name. And two, we were immigrants. You didn't want the police anywhere near you. That was like the worst thing that would ever happen. My uncle was a mechanic for a local municipality and he brought a police car home one time and made me sit in the back of it and I fucking bawled my eyes out until they would let me out. So we were definitely scared of the police. For eighth grade graduation, I wanted to wear MC Hammer pants. And my mother told me no. And I went and bought at like the little fabric store, the pattern, and literally begged and begged and begged to try to get her to let me wear MC Hammer pants to eighth grade graduation. And she wouldn't. I had also made these pair of jeans that I'd cut with a razor blade. So they had a whole bunch of really cool holes all over them and like slits and everything. And my mother thought it'd be funny to like, because she hated them. She wanted to destroy because she couldn't believe that I'd wear anything that had holes in them. She tried to rip them more. And all I did was wear uh, long underwear underneath them and then just wore them over the top. She fucking was so bad. They had, I mean, major holes. You could like totally see my, my ass and my crotch. But I wore long underwear underneath them so you couldn't see any of my body parts. And she hated them. In eighth grade, there was a competition to see who could write the best book report on a John Steinbeck book, and I entered and I won. And so I got to go spend a couple days in Monterey going through where he used to live on Cannery Row and reading different books and, and passages and things that he had written. I had also joined the opening and closing ceremonies of FFA that year, and me and my group, we won, and we went all the way to nationals that we were that good. I also won the Lions Club speech of the year on a, a speech that I gave on penguins. This was also the year that I had the opportunity to select one or two elective classes. And so I selected office aid, which was where you would support for one period of the office by, you know, doing different things, writing notes, going, getting students out of class, helping the office administration do different things. Well, the year that I did it was in eighth grade and we had a junior senior high school. So it meant that there was a small office in the junior high, and then there was a big parking lot and kind of field in between it, and then there was a high school office. And so they needed, you know, the person from the junior school to go back and forth from the main office and do different things. That year, one of the girls in our town who had a lot of money, her grandfather's name was on both of our gyms and whatnot, she was kind of like a Billy Madison. They needed to just give her a job. Well, she became one of the secretaries at the school, and she hated everybody. Even if today you ask my friend Ruth, Ruth will tell you she hated everybody. She, for some reason, loved me. This will be important when I tell you later stories about high school. Eighth grade was also the final year of my attempt of playing sports at school. I was horrible. I was short. I was scared. I had glasses. I had contacts. I couldn't see in the sun. I was not that much of a runner. And so after eighth grade, I stopped doing any sports. My freshman year, I did wrestle. And then after that, I was done. During one of our practices in football, I was attempting to be a wide receiver and I missed a snap and the coach made me run what we used to call run around the, the light post or whatnot. It was about a mile where you'd run around the field and then come back to where the practice was at. And when I came back, I noticed everyone was on the ground and I was like, what the hell? And I stopped and looked and I noticed that the lights for the football field were swaying really, really bad. And that was the huge Loma Palinda earthquake that crushed all of San Francisco and that the Bay Bridge collapsed on top of itself. I was actually running when that happened. And I remember the coaches telling us there was a big earthquake, kids, you guys all need to go home because we're not sure what's going on. And so we all just went home and then watched the news. It was amazing and, and horrifying, actually. And my one and only fist fight in eighth grade for this bully named Richard, who was teasing me because I 
wasn't good at sports and I wasn't going to play my freshman year. And I got so mad that I ended up taking off my glasses, just punched him in the face. I was also at this time obsessed with the movie Dick Tracy and with the new Batman movie that had the Prince song, Vicky Vale, Batman. Oh my God. I swore I wanted, I was going to grow up to be Batman. And the Dick Tracy was my first, I would say intro into like musical kind of theater, if you will. And growing up, my parents had a liquor cabinet and my grandpa made wine. So we'd always have barrels of wine that we would make in the summers. We would squash the grapes with our feet, like the I Love Lucy episode and whatnot. And you have purple feet the whole summer. But we never drank from our parents' stash because it was always like gross stuff. It was like stuff that tasted horrible and whatnot. But this was the summer that I went to a friend's house and we decided to mix all kinds of different things with lemon juice and kind of make it a little bit better. And I remember I was seeing some girl at the time and I was fingering her and I got so sick I ended up throwing up everywhere. And I still to this day will not drink Southern Comfort or Peppermint Schnapps. If you've ever seen the movie American Graffiti, there's a scene where they go cruising. Well, that cruising happens on McHenry Boulevard in Modesto. And when I was in eighth grade, that was the thing to do, was to go cruising and go to McHenry. And so my friends and I one time got in one of their work pickups, so we drove out to Modesto. And I remember my dad telling me that if we saw cops, to sit on our hands so we looked taller. I wasn't driving. One of my friends that was taller was driving. But we cruised, and we thought we were so cool. At eighth grade graduation, I was actually in the third row of height, if you can believe that. I know, right? Uh, I think which I was actually just probably normal height of the regular kids of that age. But I was tall in eighth grade. All right. I think I'm going to stop there with the kids' stories, and I'm going to break this into two parts because this is already at 30-some minutes, and I know that people like to listen to a little bit shorter. I myself am the same way. Uh, we don't have that much time throughout the day sometimes to listen to a really long podcast, so I'm going to stop there, and I will do episode number 20, part two, which will be my high school years because there's a lot of really funny stories in that. So thank you for listening. Remember, tell your friends, subscribe, write a review. And look for part two of episode number 20 coming out. He's a gay factory worker from the South. He'll take what you pee out of and put it in his mouth. He works all day with a great big smile and he carries a large lunch pail. After work, it's off to the bar where he meets his boyfriend Dale. They love the songs, love to dance. Hey, sometimes without wearing pants. Oh, come on, boys, let's take the chance. We'll all change our names to Lance. Everybody. He's a big factory worker from the south. He'll take what you pee out of. Boom, 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 boom,